This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro. Welcome, everybody, to the Coach Brew Podcast. Uh, this is one of those rare episodes of the pod where I bring on a guest a lot of the time. It is a monologue. Today, we're going to have a dialogue. We're going to have a fantastic, uh, fascinating conversation with a very interesting man. Um, if you are listening to the podcast and not watching it on BrewTube, aka my YouTube channel, um, you will... If, and if you don't already know who my guest is, you will be discovering him through the power of his voice, which is precisely the way I discovered <laughs> Jim Jackson. And uh, I actually discovered Jim many years ago and rediscovered him earlier this year during the, uh, I don't even know if we're allowed to say this without getting banned, uh, the pandemic. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you the backstory, then I'll introduce Jim. Um, I was in grad school many moons ago. Uh, now I'm making both of us sound old. That's probably not, I, I shouldn't have said that. It wasn't, it was a couple of moons ago. It wasn't many <laughs> moons ago. A uh, couple of moons. I lost ago. track of the moons. Bruce, uh, Me too. Uh, outside of Philly, in South Jersey, I was living. And if you're in South Jersey, I'm not even sure where the line of demarcation is, maybe like around the Princeton area. Uh, but you're a Flyers fan. You're a Philadelphia Flyers fan because you're so close to Philly. Uh, and then north of wherever that line of demarcation is, you're like a New Jersey Devils fan. Uh, but anyway, the Flyers were, you know, uh, the, uh, the team when it came to hockey. And when I couldn't get, when I couldn't score a cheap ticket to a game, uh, I would listen to the broadcast on the radio. And my guest has been the broadcast voice of the Philadelphia Flyers ever since 1993 uh, on TV and on the radio. He also broadcast. Uh, was the broadcaster for the Phillies radio broadcast team from 2007 to 2020. And um, interestingly enough, he is also um, the broadcast voice in a couple other stadiums. <laughs> stadium status and beyond stadium status. Uh, I had the audiobooks recorded this year. Uh, for Beyond Stadium Status, which is the sequel to Stadium Status. And I released a new edition, a new updated revised second edition of Stadium Status. And as I was auditioning voices, I was listening to, you know, I'd listen to them one by one, just go through the audition list. I said, that voice sounds familiar. I know I know him from somewhere. How do I know this person? And then like, I mean, I thought my mind was playing tricks on me. And then I clicked on the link to the narrator's profile. It was Jim Jackson. And it said, voice of the Philadelphia Flyers. I said, holy shit. How long has he been the voice of the Flyers? I know, I knew I knew that voice. My mind was not playing tricks on me. I'm not as senile. And my brain is not in as much cognitive decline as I originally thought. Uh, and I was right. When I lived in South Jersey and was commuting into Philly and listening to the Flyers games religiously, Jim Jackson 
was the voice. He's now the voice. It's very fitting. The guy's office, he calls the stadium and the arena his office. He is the narrator of my audiobooks. And Jim, welcome to my podcast. The universe has just been sending us all these signs, man. <laughs> I guess so. And it's uh, my pleasure to be here and was my pleasure, honestly, to narrate your, your audiobooks because I've done several books. I actually just started audio narrating books uh maybe November of last year, so about a year now. And, the pandemic uh, project? Yeah, yeah, well, and also once uh, I, the, I, I left the Phillies, I had more time on my hands, and yep. uh, we had a weird hockey year last year that started in January, so I had a couple months of nothing in November and December last year, yep. so I I, be, I began a broadcast school, which we'll talk about, and also uh, did some audio narrating, and uh, I've done a lot of books in the time, I've done about one or two a month. So I'm, you know, up near 20 now and, and uh, easily your two are, are the easiest I had to read. I mean, it was almost like, I felt like I was reading my own writing at times. So, yeah. um, and some, some great life lessons. I mean, I, I know we're not doing this to sell your, your books or your audio books, but it, it's just, hey, uh, you get paid on them too. So actually <laughs> we are on the audio books. <laughs> you're right. But I mean, it's just a, a lot of, of life lessons. And I know I'm going to go back to those books and audio books. Um, uh, frequently because uh, you 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 wrote them in in kind of uh segments so that it in fact the second one right you you had one big chapter i guess uh, it, it was all segments but uh, it, it was it was just uh to me uh, a lot of things that i could apply to my life personally and professionally um things that as i'm thinking back of what i've done and what i might be able to still do how I, I could have changed what I've done and what I could, could do moving forward. And uh, I just found it really, really uh, easy to read. As I said, the most important thing, because uh, you know what it's like for someone when they're reading a book or, or even listening to an audio book, if it's something that doesn't really relate to their language, if it's, if, if it's tough to read, they eventually put it down or, or turn it off. So yours was almost like just, I was listening to someone talking my language and Cool. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. So getting that, I mean, that, that was outstanding. It was fun and, uh, it was my pleasure to do it. So my pleasure now to be on the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Uh, long overdue getting you on here. I, um, I am fascinated kind of by your backstory, your origin story, how you came up through the ranks in broadcasting. And, you know, I've always, I've always felt, you know, having spent time in radio and doing sports talk shows. I've always felt like radio especially is something that like it gets into your blood at an early age. And I don't know if it's just our age and that like radio when we were kids is kind of all we had uh, because, you know, parents would watch what they wanted to watch on TV. And you be you be I became the remote control in my house. I would get up and change the channel for my dad. Um, but if I wanted, uh, you know, to choose the entertainment. It was going into my room and, and flipping through the radio dial and, and catching a game that way or listening to a talk show, whatever it was, you know, being my own DJ with uh, recording songs off the radio. Um, it just got into my blood early. And I think that's what uh, gravitated me to it. Uh, when I got out of coaching and I went into broadcasting, um, just kind of fell back in love with it. I am wondering uh, when you got the radio bug, so to speak. Um, my, I actually, you know, I, I love radio is my background, but I've obviously been television now for so many years. I did radio for the Phillies, television for the Flyers, so I had them both covered. 
Um, so I'm kind of out of the radio mix at this particular moment, which uh, I don't like. Uh, I'd like to get back into it. But for me, it was when I was really young, um, I wanted to play sports. I think that's mostly the case for us, you know, women and men now. It's yeah. you want to play the sport first, right? Um, and I figured it out, not that I'm a genius, but I, I figured it out at a pretty young age that I wasn't going to make it to the NFL or the NBA or the NHL or, or Major League Baseball or any of the, the big leagues with my athletic ability. And I, I was average at best in Little League and bitty basketball, as we called it, in upstate New York, uh, Pop Warner football, all those things. I was yeah. average. I wasn't awful, but I was very average. I was, I was awful. So I was <laughs> awful. Yeah. I wasn't a standout. Let me tell you that. And so, uh, and then uh, I, I I knew that I loved sports. Um, we didn't have as much sports on television back then as we do now, but what whatever there was on, I was watching it and I was talking about it many times while it was on, uh, to the point where sometimes I'd do games into a tape recorder. And uh, there came a time I think I was playing JV football actually. And, they called me up to play in the varsity for a practice. Somebody was sick or something. So they called me. I was not because I was the best guy. They just needed a body. And they put me in a linebacker. I, I, I'm not the biggest guy. I wasn't the biggest guy then. Um, and uh, I got plowed five or six times. And, and the last time I remember I got to the hole and I finally said, I got, got him. I see the fullback coming my way. And then the next thing I know, it's like right out of the movies, everybody's standing around me and I'm looking up at the sky. I was completely out. Uh, so I remember going back into the locker room and I just sort of, sort of sat there for a while. A couple of the upperclassmen came up to me and said, kid, don't worry about it. You're only a sophomore. You know, that was, that was going to happen. I said, Hey, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm going through a life moment now is what I was trying to say to myself. And I went home that night and I was talking with my dad and uh, you know, I said, dad, I, I love sports. I love playing sports, but I'm really not that good. You know, I'm okay. He said, yeah, yeah you're pretty good. I said, I'm, I'm not really. He said, I'm, I'm certainly not good enough to make it to where I, I would want to be, you know, the big time. I got to figure out a way to be involved in sports. And he said to me, you know, why don't you look into broadcasting? You're always talking about sports. You're always doing stats. You're always call sometimes calling the games off the TV. And I said, yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. He said, or write about it because you write a lot too. And so it was either, either or, I suppose, because I love writing about sports as well. And, uh, and so that was it from that day forward and really from before then, because I was already calling games. My dream was to be a play-by-play -play announcer, radio, television, doesn't matter. I wanted to be a play-by-play -play announcer for a team and it didn't matter the sport either. I was not a hockey wow. guy. I was not a football guy. I was not a baseball. I loved all four of the major sports, not as much into soccer. Soccer wasn't as big back then, but, but the, the four majors, I, I was uh, all over all of them. And, and my goal became to go to Syracuse because Syracuse university was only an hour away. This was uh, Utica where I grew up. And so I, I, my, my sole goal in life was to get into Newhouse School of Public Communications. Uh, and so I had to get my grades up because it's not easy to get into Newhouse. I, I got them up. I got in. And once I went to Syracuse, everything changed. I went from a mindset of, I wouldn't mind doing a local radio talk show in Utica for the rest of my life to wanting to be the president of CBS Sports. <laughs> you know, yeah. my motivation completely changed once I got to Syracuse because I was around all these kids from New York City and from around the country. And their ambition, you know, was 10 times mine. And so a world class, a world class place like that just really introduces you to a higher standard it and does. you aspire to more. And that's, I think, why your environment um, that you put yourself in is so important for all of us. I love yeah, that. You're pushed. I mean, I, I equate it Ru, to, to players. Uh, it, it's, it's great to practice 
against players who you're better than so you can look good and all that. But you get better when you practice against players of equal or even better as long as you don't go too high. I mean, if you start practicing against guys that are, are two, three years older or girls that are two or three years older, you might end up with, with so much defeat that that sure. hurts you. But it's better to practice against better competition because I think that's how you get better. It's similar to being around people in business um, or in sports who are uh, slightly better or more advanced than you are further along the line because you learn from them and then you can, uh, one, you can ride their coattails sometimes, but also you, you can basically learn from them and be like them and, and progress. So yeah, absolutely. What was your first, um, your first experience where you said, you know what? I can do this. I can do this for a living. I can make a career out of this. Like there's always, I think that aha moment somewhere yeah. along the path, maybe it's an internship, maybe yeah. it's, you know, your second job out of college, whatever it is. I'm wondering when uh, the, the, the switch got flipped for you with that. I go, uh, there's two times really one, I go back to Syracuse because I went there, this wide eyed kid graduating class of 73 from New York mills high into this humongous school with kids from all over the world, let alone the country. And um, I knew right away, like, like, wow, this isn't going to be easy for me to stand out among this group. And for a little while, I struggled my first semester. I struggled both academically and basically just with adjusting to, to the, the culture shock of it all. And then I, I overcame that and the grades started getting back up and I ended up a good student. And then I, I went to work my second semester at WAR, the student radio station there. And that's where I think it really bit me because the competition to get on the air first, just to do sports casts, then to get a spot doing the weekly sports talk show. But of course, the plum, the big one to do the games. They did the, base, the basketball, football and lacrosse and to get to do that. And that only went to upperclassmen for the most part. But I think I realized I was okay. I, I never, I don't think fully, even to this day, I, I feel like there's another level for me. I, I can continue sure. to improve. But the, the point where I thought, hey, I might have a shot was when I got cleared to do basketball as a sophomore. That doesn't happen wow. to too many. Um, they were garbage games, you know, Syracuse against the Division Three team or whatever. But I was actually on the air with seniors as a sophomore. And, you know, there were only one or two of us in, in my class that were, were cleared that, that quickly. So at that point, I started to say, hey, maybe I'm, I'm okay. But as, as quickly as that happens, Brew, I mean, I, I, in my, senior, my junior year, I was told by the sports director that uh, I wasn't good enough, that I would never make it in the business, that I was good enough to do it at the college level, you know, in, in a, at a college station. But I would not make it. And, and this sports director happened to be a guy who sports illustrated had just come in. They'd done a story on, on Syracuse being the cradle of sports broadcasting. And they put a picture of him in the story saying the next great sportscaster out of Syracuse. So we had, we had been genuflecting to this guy for the, yeah. for a couple of weeks. I mean, talk about being set for life. You get, you know, sports illustrated, come in and do that. You're going to have a job and all that. And, and it wasn't long after that story came out that he tells me this. So just in this business, and I really think in any business, to be honest we, with we you. We don't want to mention him by name and throw him under the bus? No, I never do. Okay. I mean, I've, All right. I've met him since. I've yeah. talked to him about it since. He went on to have a great career. What did he say it. when you when he kind of saw firsthand, like you totally proved him wrong? And yeah, I imagine that didn't him remember saying the that. conversation. Didn't even remember it. Wow. See, that's the thing. To him, it was a throwaway comment. Yep. To me, 
it sent me into a 48 hour, what major should I change to? I mean, I, I thought I was, I mean, wow, if, if this guy who we all respect and think is the, the next superstar out of this school says that I must suck. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I lived in a suite with three other guys and one of the other guys, uh, a broadcaster at the station with me and he's going to have a great career too. And he, he talked to me and said, listen, you can't let one guy tell you that. And I said, yeah, but it's a pretty important guy. He goes, yeah, I, I give you that. But he said, you know, you, you've been trying, you've been doing so well here and you got cleared last year, you're a junior, you got your senior year. And I, I said, yeah, I know. But I, I really thought I was thinking about political science, whatever I was thinking about changing. And um, I had a minored in political science. Uh, and then I thought about it and I said, hold it. Why should I let one guy tell me what I'm going to yep. do with the rest of my life? And instead of using being crushed by it, I was crushed for a short period of time, 48 hours, or whatever. But once I adjusted and, and thought about it, I used it as motivation. I'm not going to let him tell me. Uh, it's, it's like John Locke and Lost, right? Don't let people tell you what you can't do or something yeah. like that. Uh, I, I, I think, basically, what's that? Jim, you think about how many record labels when the Beatles came to the U.S. told them, like, there's no audience for your sound. Right. No, yeah. that there's no commercial appeal to yeah. what you guys do here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to compare myself to the Beatles, but by the oh, way, I, I just see that. did. I'll I compare you to the great. Beatles. If, you see, if you've seen the documentary, I hear it's great. I got to watch it. Uh, it's on Disney Plus, right? Everybody's recommending it to me. I haven't seen it, but I can't wait to watch it. I, I can't either. Um, but uh, I but will say you are the Beatles of audiobook narration. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm telling you. I'm, I am not the Beatles of anything. They are set apart. But, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you what. It, you it used was, it as fuel for the fire, right? You know, so did they. And, and I'm, you know, the Beatles and Elvis Presley and, and you know, move to today, the superstars of today. Almost everyone, pretty much everyone, goes through that to some degree. And it's part of what I tell broadcast students today about what's going to make you successful. But for me, it you know, you get that moment where you say, hey, I might have a shot. And then you just as quickly get that moment where you're told you suck and that's kind of life you know there's highs and there's lows you got to ride them um and i'll tell you a quick story about that herb brooks is the, the miracle on ice coach 1980 olympics i got to work with her for one full year in the minor leagues he was the head coach of the utica devils it was my fifth year with the devils and the first four years that it had tommy mcvee as the head coach and he was this old school he's one of my dearest friends but this old school coach. I mean, he, if you lost, you get on the bus, not a word, yeah. completely quiet, zip your lips. Think about what you didn't do to, you know, as far as the players go, what you didn't do. And so as a broadcaster, I sat right across from the coach. I said zip lip too. Right. And then if they won beer on the bus, you know, celebrate the victory. That's old school. Right. Well, Herb Brooks, I mean, all my, all I had to, to base my opinion on him from going into the year was what I saw at the Olympics where he was telling one of the players to stick a stick in the throat of the Czech player and all this. I mean, I figured he was pretty old school too. Right. Yeah. So we get smoked eight, three in our first game of the year. We're down in Binghamton, New York. I get on the bus and I sit right across from him and I'm like sitting close to the window. Cause I figured he's going to get on here and probably, you know, blowing his stack or whatever. And he gets on the bus and he comes over and he sits next to me, puts his arm around me and says, so kid, What'd you think of that one? And I'm like, uh, well, uh, coach, a bit of a loaded question. <laughs> we lost eight to three. He said, oh, but but there were a lot of positives. And he talked about, you know, the, a couple of young players. He saw good things from. He said the team didn't quit. And he was really positive. And, you know, he went back to his seat. And I'm thinking, wow, did I misjudge this guy? So then two or three games later, we're on the road. And we win a game. And I get on the bus. 
And, you know, I figure, okay, this is going to be a great bus ride. And he gets on the bus and he is got, he's got the sourpuss going. He didn't, he sits at his side, doesn't even say a word to me, stares straight ahead. And I was like, wow, I mean, this is unbelievable. And it was like that all year long after losses, he was uh, happy after wins. He was miserable. And, and I'm like, this guy is, you know, I, I, he's been called a genius. He's been called this. He's the, you know, he, he authored the miracle on ice, but I think he's a lunatic. I, I was thinking, well, yeah. what it was, and he didn't ever explained it to me. I figured it out when you lose, he didn't want you getting too low. And when you win, he doesn't want you getting too high. So he was trying to be the buffer to keep his team on an even keel. Well, throughout life, we kind of need that, maybe not to that extreme, but we get a little full of ourselves when we're on a high and we start maybe neglecting some of the things that really truly mean the most to us and that we should be concerned about most. And then when we're low, and I've had some lows here in recent times. I mean, I lost the Phillies job. It wasn't like I left on my own. They, they chose to eliminate my position. They said the pandemic, but you know, that was a low. I lost 40% yeah. of my income and I lost doing a, a game I love. And it wasn't any fault of my, my performance. They just, they made a cut because the, the budget was being cut. And, you know, it was tough. I, I didn't, I was, I was basically going to a funeral of my wife's best friend who lost a 16 year battle with cancer. I found out that day, it was a real rough, rough time. And, um, you know, it's not like everything's always roses for you can pick out your favorite movie star or or a rock star or singer, uh, author, uh, anybody that you think just has life by the you know what. They have moments like this. They have had them in the past. They're going to have them in the future. And yeah, we only life, get to see their highlight reel. We don't see their blooper. Exactly. Reel. Yeah. And, and life is about being able to deal with that. And I, I've taken that from her Brooks to my life. When things are really, really negative, I, I've got to try to you know, level it off and be positive. And when I feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm rolling now. Don't get too high on yourself. That's not a good thing either. Yeah. I, um, I think it's really interesting that, you know, during that, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong during that time, um, you know, in your transition with the Phillies there, uh, isn't that kind of when you reinvented your business model and you created, um, so basically an online broadcasting academy for people where you could mentor. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is what, you know, a lot of what I went through with the Phillies and, you know, I, I, I was, I was it March when we connected, but when I first roughly, read yeah. your, your book, so much of uh, what your books are about or, or what I was dealing with in the last calendar year to, to 15 months. And, um, and we've all had to deal with so much, of course, over the last year and a half with, with, with the pandemic, I said it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's basically, uh, I, I sat there and said, okay, I'm going to have more time on my hands. I'm going to have less money. I still have two college educations I'm paying off. My daughter's out of college, but I'm still paying it off. And I was paying my I made the decision to pay my son's college off as he goes about two months before I found out I was losing 40% yeah. of my income. So, um, you know, the bills are still there and they're there in full force. So I need to make some more money. So I've got more time, need to make a little more money. What am I going to do? And I literally went online and just searched for online businesses, at home businesses, all these different things. Uh, and the audiobook narration came through that. That's where I found that. The broadcast coaching was something that was brought to me uh, by uh, a person in the business who said, You are made for this. Yep. And I at first was like, I don't know. I never saw myself as a teacher necessarily. I've, I've talked to people, mentored people for many years, as much as I could with the time constraints I had, 
But uh, this was to do it in an organized, structured way. Um, and to people I didn't know, most of the people I'd mentored, I had some sure. familiarity with. Yeah. So this was, uh, I, I tried it starting last November, and it was unbelievable the response I got to just individual sessions. I ended up with you know 40 to 50 uh, people that I did individual, you know, three sessions, uh, an hour each, and then mentoring on forward after that, and just love it. Um, when I hear the improvement in their work, when they send me clips, I'm proud. When I hear they get a, a, a couple of them were already in the in the business and got promoted. One of them was doing um, junior hockey. He got promoted to the AHL. That's awesome. Doing, doing a session with him tomorrow. To he wants me to go over some of his AHL work and try to work on some of the details. I mean, I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. It's rewarding. It's all about what you talk about in your book in terms of legacy giving back. I mean, I'm not doing this to develop my legacy per se, but I would love grew to maybe in 20 years. I mean, I'm going to be done broadcasting well before then, but completely retired. Maybe I don't know if I'll ever be completely retired now because I love all these other things I'm doing. And I think I can do them until whatever, because I control that. Somebody doesn't pay me, you know, hire me to do that. And but because you have kids in college. Yeah. Well, for sure. I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about and, to have one in college get, next yeah, year. Once I get the kids I'll, through college, then I'll I can be able to retire when I'm 283. I think. <laughs> yeah. That's about, I might be 270. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not that far uh, away from you, but that, you know, the thing is I, I, um, I would love in 15, 20 years to be sitting in my recliner or wherever I am watching some of these people that I'm, I'm yeah. coaching now on television. That would be so cool. So, so did, you, did you hear um, what you rewarding. just said? What was did that? Did you hear what you just said? I did. These people I'm coaching now. And you started out our conversation on this subject and we kind of pivoted from the Phillies to your – uh, to Jim Jackson broadcasting, and you said, I didn't see myself as a teacher or an instructor, but you started doing it. And because of your background in sports, like you're like, you know what? I'm actually a coach. I'm not a teacher or professor. I'm, I'm a coach. And then you just said, these kids, these students that I'm coaching. Yeah, and that's true. I, 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 I just think that, yeah, it, it's a natural fit for you with your expertise, your background, your skill set, uh, to be coaching these people and giving back. And I think it's uh, it's an incredible opportunity for them. Um, and they're obviously enjoying a lot of success. What's, uh, so, you know, for people who are listening to this and would be interested in uh, your instruction, your coaching, uh, or maybe they have, um, maybe they're a member of the older persuasion like us and they have a kid who's going into broadcasting uh what's the website how can they learn more about it and get in touch with you easiest way now we used to have an email and i could give you the email if you have questions but um, i'll put it in the show notes give us give us the website yeah yeah the website's jimjacksonbroadcasting.com awesome um so it's easy to remember just my name and broadcasting.com all one word and uh on there you'll see the one-on-one sessions we occasionally have camps i actually have a camp saturday but it's all it's, it's already taken care of um but we'll do more of those where there's group uh, zooms you know 15 20 people if you know however many i don't like to get too large because i do like yeah. it to be interactive but so we'll have camps and those are, are you know cheaper because it's not one-on-one um but the one-on-ones 
to me are the best. Those are three sessions of an hour each. And as I said, once you're done with the sessions, then you can call me, email me, text me, similar to you. I'm, I'm very accessible um, with any questions or if you want to just talk or if you, you need a, a, a pick me up or whatever, uh, that's available for the rest of their lives. And it doesn't matter if it's broadcast related or not. I'm here for them. So, uh, and I've really enjoyed that that so many of the, the people, and I can't say kids, Brew, because yeah. I have a 58-year-old. Uh, oh, wow. a 52-year-old. Yeah, there's these. There's a lot of guys who, uh, uh, I've, I've got uh, several women. Most of the women are younger, but uh, a couple of the guys, 52, 58, they've gotten into uh, calling streaming sports. And I also want to point out, this isn't all about play-by-play. Play. This is any kind of broadcasting. I coach sideline reporters. I coach podcasters. I coach talk show hosts. I I, I coach uh, you know studio sports anchors. I've, awesome. I've done most of it. Um, I haven't done the podcast. That's the one thing I've guessed it on a lot of them, but I have not actually done a podcast. But I, I've seen enough of them to know what works. And I've done sure. everything else pretty much in this business. I did sideline for NHL radio. I did studio work for NBC Sports Philly. Uh, I've done obviously play by play. I've done. Uh, I've done pretty much all of what you can do outside of being an analyst, which I think is mostly safe for ex-athletes um, and, and podcasting, which I'm pretty familiar with via being a guest. So, yeah. um, and, and so I don't want people just because they're not a play-by-play uh, enthusiast per se to say, Oh, this isn't for me. Any form of broadcasting. I'm, I'm basically there for you. You got some really cool advice early in your career uh, from Gene Hart who was the original Flyers broadcaster. What did he tell you um, that has just served you so well ever since then? Uh, a little something about 10%, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Gene, uh, you know, he's and a And this legend. applies well beyond broadcasting. Like it This, does. I think, applies to life and everything. I, I agree. Who I love I it because it's wisdom. It's not just, uh, you know, uh a mentor protege kind of little nugget of coaching wisdom it is life wisdom yeah and and it's it's easy to measure it from a broadcasting perspective but sure. you're right it is something that you can apply to any any realm of life really so gene what he's a legend right he's a hall of fame broadcaster yep. he was here from the very beginning of the flyers i get here in 1993 Gene's beginning to wind his career down, but he's going back onto television. Doc Emmerich, who had been here, talk about having some great broadcasters here before me. Yeah. Doc Emmerich was leaving. And so Gene, who began in television, went to radio when Mike Emmerich came and then went back to television. And then I came in to do the radio. For two years, I got to basically watch Gene in action. He was doing the TV, I was doing the radio. And he used to carry around this big, huge black binder fold. I don't know what you want to call it. It was a big, it looked like an encyclopedia, to be honest with you. And he didn't have a computer. This was, I had one, but uh, it was, you know, big cumbersome back then, again, showing our age. Um, but anyhow, he, he, everything he did was handwritten. And so it was in this big black binder of his. So one day, probably about three or four months into my, my time down here, I finally got up enough courage to say, Gene, the big black binder. I mean, that, that's a lot of, lot of notes. Uh, you're, you're calling a fast-paced game hockey. I mean, I know I call it. You can't use much of that. And you know, as soon as I said that, it was almost like he'd been waiting for me to say that, right? He looks at yeah. me and he puts a smile. He goes, well, you know, uh, you got to be prepared. And so he was hoping I'd fall into his trap, and I did. My very next question. So what percentage of all that information that you have in that black binder do you think you use on a, on a game day basis, like an average? And he said, mm, 
maybe about 10%. And so, of course, he knew that would set me off. And I go, 10%? I mean, you're wasting 90% of your time. I mean, 10%, why would you waste all that time when you're only going to use 10% of it? And then, you know, he looked like the cat as well. The canary is like, well, Jim, because I don't know which 10% I'm going to use. And it's so true. And uh, I have, I, I have now, obviously, with the advent of computers and the internet and so forth, I have many more ways to prepare than Gene even had. I have oh, yeah, your hard drive is a big black binder, really, today. Exactly. <laughs> and so now for me, it's all about finding out what I can use and, and shouldn't use, right? For Gene, it was just finding out as much as he could because there just wasn't as much access back then. But he is absolutely right. I could show you, and I do show my, my, my students, um, my prep. And I, I you know, I, I see other broadcasters look at my prep and think, wow, you really uh, go into it. And I've had some ask me, you know, I wait for it. Well, it's like Gene waited for me to ask. And they say, like, how much of that do you use? And I'll say maybe 10%. And they'll kind of look almost self-confidently, almost like satisfied, like their way's better because what this guy's crazy to use only 10%. But I know in my heart that I don't know what 10% I'm going to use. Yeah. And most importantly, I know going into a broadcast with the system I've developed now over all these years, it's over preparation to some maybe, but to me, it's perfect preparation because I'm ready. Every broadcast where I'm able to complete my usual prep, I'm ready for pretty much whatever comes your way. Now on live television, live radio, you're never 100% prepared. I mean, Al Michaels showed up in 1989 expecting to do a World Series, ended up covering an earthquake. So yeah. you never know what, you know, is going to happen analogy. all the time. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you never know always what's going to happen, but you can at least go in feeling that way. And if you go in feeling you're ready for anything, you're going to be a better broadcaster. And if you go into a meeting in a business realm, feeling like you're ready that for anything that's going to be fired your way, you're going to be better in that meeting. So it doesn't apply, as you say, just to broadcasting. Be prepared. And it's part of my pep speech, which is part of my broadcast curriculum, if you will. Uh, it's not to pep people up, although maybe it will, but it's about PEP. -E the first P is for preparation. In my mind, you cannot be overprepared. There no. are some people out there who feel if you prepare so much, you jumble your mind and you can freeze and all that. I, I just don't buy that. I mean, I have so much information in my head going into a broadcast and I don't freeze. It's, it's, I put it down on sheets. It's there for me. If I have to, most of it sticks here. Some of it's on the sheets in front of me and I have to refer to it. But the bottom line is I have it there and I'm ready for anything. So preparation, the E is for experience, which is about getting as much of it as you can. And my feeling there, Brew, is that there's no such thing as bad experience. Now you're going to say, and everybody does, Jim, come on. You're living in a pretty utopian uh, society or, or way of thinking. If you I'm think actually no such thing. I'm actually going to prove experience. you right. I'm going to let you prove yourself right. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Okay. And I'm going to let you prove yourself right here. Um, so there's no such thing as bad experience. You wanted to be a play-by-play -play announcer, but you um, had to produce a Polish radio program for some podunk little station in your hometown of Utica, New York. That was your right. first job out of college? That was it. That was my first time outside of uh, college radio. And I did a little cable while I was in yeah. school, but my first out of college commercial time on the air I was sitting across from Maria Kowalski, lovely Polish lady who I couldn't understand a word she said. She spoke in Polish. 
And even though I have a little, I'm a quarter Polish, but I, I did not understand her. And she'd point to me, I'd start the polka, or I'd read some English commercials for a show, or I'd hit the carts with the Polish commercials. And that was my very first job. And that is why I've been calling this team for 28 years now, the Flyers. And here's how that led to where I'm at. In a, I'll do it in a, a bridged version, or we'll be here all day. Uh, but basically, because I was doing that Polish show, and this was after I'd gone to the station, out of school, no job, just said, can I hang around for a little while? And because I was a local kid and I was a Syracuse grad, they said, sure, I wasn't getting paid anything. And eventually they found a, probably a job no one else wanted running the Polish show. And they stuck me in there and I was doing that. And that, that was on Sunday morning. And so they'd have me stick around a couple hours after that, get it, get it up to noon hour before someone came in to replace me. So I ended up riding the board in the, in the Sunday mornings. And I realized that after the Polish show was over, they went to like top 40 music. And then they'd lead up to Yankees baseball or Syracuse University sports or CBS sports, you know, Giants football, whatever. They carried a ton of sports, yeah. but they'd lead up to it with, with music. So I just didn't get that. And I said, they should have a sports talk. They had a sports talk show Monday through Friday at 630 to 10, you know, and around their sports that they carried during the week. Why not have it on the weekend? So I put together this written proposal and this is, I'm 22 years old, just out of college hanging around. I'm not even working technically. And I put together this written proposal and made copies for the general manager, the program director, the news director, and the sports director. And I said, Hey guys, can, can I get like five minutes with you guys? And they're, they're probably thinking, I don't know. I think about this now, what does this kid want? And I, they, they gave me the five minutes and I went in and I, I presented them the written proposal. I explained, you know, you guys are a news talk sports station all week long. Let's keep the sports going on the weekend when we're carrying sports anyhow. And I'd be glad to do the show. And they took me up. They called my bluff. If it, it wasn't really a bluff, but they called it because I then worked from noon to midnight, Saturday and Sunday. So, you know, when you're out of college, 22, you know, you like to party and maybe that was gone. <laughs> Social life was gone, but I loved it because I was, I was on the radio. I was doing yeah. a talk show at 22 and leading into sports. And of course, because I was working 24 hours in the weekend, uh, rather than pay me part-time money, they gave me 16 hours of, news reporting or helping the sports director out during the week to get me to 40. And I had a full-time job. So I created a full-time job. Six months later, that sports director, Tim Roy left to go to Birmingham. By the way, he's moved on to golden state. He's been the voice of the golden state warriors for a long time. He kind of did well, but he left. And so who else to take over sports director, but me. So now I'm 23 and I'm sports director. I'm doing high school football. I'm doing minor league baseball, low level minor league hockey. It was a, called the ACHL back then. It's now the yeah. ECHL um, and uh, New York Penn League Baseball. So I'm doing all these things and the talk show and the sports cast and just loving it, getting reps, getting experience. Nine months after that, the New Jersey Devils decided to move their AHL franchise from Portland, Maine to Utica, New York, and our station gets the rights. So guess who's doing AHL hockey at 24? Me. Wow. I'm now doing one step below the NHL. I'm less than two years out of college. And I did that for six years. Every single game the Utica Devils ever played. They moved, they changed stations. I went with them, turned into a salesperson for a while. I hated it, but also learned some things from doing that, even though I hated it. And, um, and then the Devils decided to move and they weren't taking anybody with them. And I wasn't working for the team anyhow. So I was at a crossroads. I had just gotten married and it was time to put up or shut up. I sent tapes to the two expansion teams. The coach yeah. of the Devils that last year was Robbie Fatorik. He had actually replaced her Brooks. And he told me that on the bus ride home after the last playoff game, 
you know, he'd had all the players coming up. They'd be gotten eliminated. He was having them tell him what they were going to do for their summer workout routine and all that. He got done a little early. So he pulls me over to his seat and says, so, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm, I've sent my tapes to, and I'm in Florida, the two expansion teams and we'll see what happens. He goes, what about, and I'll clean this up, but what about the other, at the time, I think there were 22 other teams. What about those other teams? And I said, well, if I hear of openings, you know, word travels, I'll, I'll send my tape. He says, send them now send them now. So they have them. I go, most of those end up in the circular file. Don't you think he goes, you never know. So I took him up on it and I decided to, uh, basically now today, what you do is you just click a link, send it right. Sure. Pretty easy. Yeah. Back then you had to physically do the tapes. So I had to hear myself way too much, bro. <laughs> I mean, so yep. I had to listen to the same audition tape about 20 times, but anyway, I did it, sent them all out. It was like three weeks later, the Ducks approached me. I negotiated with them, went from the top five to the top three to getting the job, was negotiating with them when the Flyers called me. Literally got off the phone with the PR guy as I was trying to negotiate with Anaheim. They hadn't given me a contract yet. When the Flyers called and said, hey, we, we have some changes in our broadcast department. We're really interested in you off that tape, which was a tape I wouldn't have sent if it hadn't been for that conversation with the coach. Yeah. Bottom line is, I got the Flyers job. It was a more attractive job. I thought at the time they'd be winning a cup before the Ducks. I was wrong on that one. But <laughs> but the bottom line is, if I didn't have the wherewithal out of college to A, go to the radio station and say, hey, can I hang around? And B, for free. Put forth that show. For yeah, free. for free. Yeah. And do a Polish radio show. And if I wasn't on that Polish radio show, noticing their weekend programming to me didn't make sense, I wouldn't have been there when Tim Roy left. Yeah. And then I wouldn't have been there when the Devils came to town. And so I would not have gotten an NHL job. So the reason I've been able to call these games for almost three decades is because I did agree to do something for free and I did a Polish show and it got me started. So I tell that to, to people all the time, you know, experience is not necessarily going to be exactly what you want to do, yeah. but it might get your foot in the door. It will make you better at something. And the reason, Brew, I say there's no such thing as bad experience. There are bad experiences. We all have them. I've had sure. many. I was told I, was told I, I sucked. That was a bad experience. Um, but every experience to me is a learning experience. Yep. So even the bad experiences, you learn something A, about yourself, B, about a certain company, C, about a business, D, about life. But you learn something. And to me, if you're learning something, that's a good experience. Yeah, it's uh, payment in and of itself, even if you're yep. working for free. It's payment. Yeah. And I told you the sales, I had to do that for three years when they switched stations in Utica. I hated it. I, I detested sales. I did not like it at all. But in doing sales, I learned how to communicate with people and uh, especially people I didn't know, cold calling, sure. things like that. And it, it definitely helped me moving forward. So I even got things out of something I absolutely hated. Right. So you, and that's you the interesting experience. That's the interesting thing today, too, is there's such a push for oh, every internship should be paid. No one should have to work for free. And no, actually, you know what? You ought to be willing to do whatever it takes if you want it bad enough. Absolutely. And, and, and oftentimes, no as and I look at what you did, and I don't think this is a small detail. I think this is a big detail because how you do anything is how you do everything. You were 22, you're right out of college, and you were showing up early on a Sunday morning for a Polish radio show. Yeah. I mean, most kids your age are pouring themselves out of the bars or they're hungover asleep 
on a Sunday morning after a late Saturday night. So just by the sheer fact that you showed the station's ownership and management, here's a, somebody who's a professional. He's on time. He takes it seriously. Even though he's not getting paid, he wants to make the most of this opportunity. And when you make the most of whatever you have, where you are while you're there, that always will lead to something more whether it's there or elsewhere. I love that story because it led to something more there and ultimately then elsewhere. And we can't connect the dots in the moment. We can't connect the dots looking forward. We can only connect them looking back, but that's the power of, you know, there are no bad experiences, something you can always learn and just being willing to work for free. Yeah, you know, incredible. I, I, my biggest message to, I just did a cameo for a, a, a young broadcaster last night. And I said, pep is important. Preparation, experience, perseverance. That, that's very important. But the one thing I want anybody who does my class or even just talks to me about the business to get is have a dream, chase the dream. But in order to chase that dream, as you say, you've got to do something. It's not just going to come your way. And I had this passion to be a broadcaster. It was a deep passion. I really wanted it badly. And almost all the people I, I'm, I'm coaching are certainly in that realm. The want is there. So if the want is there, you translate that into work, you translate that into preparation, getting experience and showing perseverance, then you have a much better chance of being successful. And that's really what it is in a nutshell. I mean, that that's to me, a lot of people have dreams and unfortunately, um, don't feel like they're attainable. Yeah. I, you know, that to me is, is really sad. We need people to think dreams are attainable because we need more people brewing this world in general, working, doing something they love. I do think some of these at-home businesses that have been created, and we've actually learned a lot about that through the pandemic as well, um, and things have been created, such as Zoom and other things that have helped us be able to do it, um, I think is allowing more people to do what they really want to do as opposed to going to oh, a yeah. nine to five job they hated. And I think for our mental health, that's a really good thing. So find a passion, find something you love, find a way you can monetize it, you know, make a living. I don't, if you, if you want to be rich, okay, that's, that's something you might have to look into. But I, I can tell you right now, a person who's got a job where they're making enough money to be at least comfortable, raise a family, and they love their job, they're going to be happier than a millionaire who hates his job. Yeah. And, and it's just, the, the inner satisfaction of every day, every weekday, at least and for some of us in sports weekends too, um, you know, going to do what you do and enjoying it, feeling fulfilled and feeling like you're giving something back is more being, important than, than green. Being, being part of something bigger than yourself too, I might add. I mean, I, I don't know as if when we're doing it, Brew, we think that, but you yeah. know, it's probably true. I mean, I, I, I will hope that years from now I'm hearing back from a lot of these people that I'm coaching and, Here's some great stories. It might not even be in broadcasting, but some stories about how something they picked up from, from my coaching helped them. And that'll, that'll mean the world. It already does when I hear it now. But I, if, if it's you know, five, 10 years down the road, it'll be that much more. It'll mean that much more. I, I had a, a, a person, a young a lady who was, uh, I, I can think maybe about 10. They showed me the picture or she had her picture taken with me with mm -hmm. her dad. And she said she wanted to get into either broadcasting or public relations. And I had a long talk with her and, um, you know, it happened many, many years ago. Well, we're in Prague for the, the game uh, to start the 2019, 2020 season, the uh, Flyers and Blackhawks are playing over there. And this guy comes up with this college age woman 
and it was them. I didn't recognize. Oh, wow. Them. But they had the picture. They showed me the picture and they showed me the le a letter I had written after our meeting telling her to, you know, push, go for your dreams, all that stuff we had just talked about. And she had taken a picture of it or whatever and framed it. And it was something she had in a room at home then in college. And she said it was a, a driving force for her. I cannot tell you what that did to me. I mean, it, it was like, wow, that is, uh, I mean, I, I don't even think of myself as having that kind of impact on people. I, I really don't. You I, never I, know. Maybe it, you never really yeah. And I mean, to me, that was one little letter I wrote. It wasn't that long or elaborate. And it was one meeting at a game where we had a picture taken and had a little talk with her, but it meant that much to her. And she's in PR now doing very well. And it, to me, it was like, wow. I mean, that, if I get that five or six times from some of the people I'm talking to now, five or 10 years down the road, I'm, I'm set for a happy retirement. Let me tell yeah, you. Because that's that, legacy that is, right there. We talked about legacy earlier. That's I, legacy, you man. Hope for it with your kids. I mean, yeah. mostly my, my son and my daughter, I'm, I'm hoping that for the most, uh, of course, but all these other people too. And, and if I can, you know, help them in some way, it's just, and I didn't really know uh, too much. I mean, I've gotten some letters back from some people I've met and they appreciated it and it's awesome. It really is. But to have that kind of impact on that young lady really meant a lot to me. And it was one of the driving forces for me to get into this too, because I figured if that small contact and one yeah. letter could do that, what, what can three hour long sessions and forever being connected do? So uh, hopefully it does lead to some more moments like that because, you know, as, as you might say, I'm giving back, but it also gives to you. I mean, the feeling you gave me is, is hard to top. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a boost for you as much as it was for her. And I think that that's something that we, um, yeah, I, I kind of liken it to, uh, and follow me on this, stick with me on this. Okay. <laughs> I kind of liken it to the customer service hotlines at most companies <laughs> and here's what i mean most of the time people call a customer service line to complain about something yes most of the time i don't and know many people rare... call up a customer service line to say i love your product you're right <laughs> on rare occasions you'll get an email or yeah. you know they'll get a phone number uh, or a phone call rather uh, raving about them and how you know they, the company over delivered or you love the product or service whatever those rare occasions well I, I think our work that we all do in every industry is a lot like that hotline in that you're going to hear a lot more negativity um, but there will be a few people who really appreciate what you've done for them or inspired by you and share that with you now also, there will be a lot more people who just don't make the call. And they may have benefited just as much as that young lady, but they didn't reach out to you. And we just never know when that call's coming. But we have to trust, you know, and keep the faith that we're doing what we're doing because we know will impact people. Uh, whether we hear from them directly or frequently, or not at all, you know, eventually it'll come around. And, and I really believe that, but, you know, and I share that because I do think that what we're living in this time right now is kind of an appreciation deficit mm -hmm. where we don't reach out and say thank you enough to people. And just look at that influence that, you know, I talk about it in stadium status. What you did is the power of a handwritten note. 
Oh, yes. Handwritten yeah. note has the ability to be framed, hung up on a wall. She didn't hang an email, you know. Um, it was framed and hung up on a wall and looked at every single day. It has staying power, and it shows a personal touch. And if you're listening to this, I want to encourage you to do what Jim did for that young lady and reach out to somebody. Let them know. Somebody that's not as far down the road as you are, let them know they're doing good work and they have a lot to look forward to and just to stay the course and work hard because it'll pay off and it's just uh it's an incredibly important message for everyone right now especially so uh, i uh, you share a lot of really powerful stories and moments and lessons i think that's the most powerful one man the yeah, power of it, appreciation it's powerful to me yeah and, yeah and i do think especially <clears throat> Brew in, in this time, um, we're seeing now more people are being uh, open about mental health issues. We we don't know, quite frankly, 90% of the people out there who are having mental health issues. Um, you know, you could actually, in going to, to thank somebody for their work or going to tell somebody, hey, you're doing a great job, you could curtail their mental, I mean, just little things like that have huge impacts on people and can take them out of a bad place. They really can. So, um, we definitely need more of that. We need less, uh, you know, of the, the haters on Twitter and all that. Um, we're not, we're not going to get less of that. Let's be realistic. That's just going to be out there, but we, we can at least from, from those who, who want to, to, to do well, uh, be, be more open with, with our, our compliments or, or just our, our offer of support, because that, that's something that I think a lot of us need. I need it at times. I'm sure you do too. I mean, we, we're all, uh, we're all vulnerable to, to the, we're human. So, um, you know, it's, it's not, I, I still like having someone tell me that they liked something I did. Right. I think we all do. And I think it fuels sure. us. So you should do it to someone else as well. I, I, I totally Absolutely. Agree. Uh, so Jim, let me, let me ask you this. Um, you narrated stadium status, you narrated beyond stadium status. Um, what is another impactful book that you narrated that you think people would be interested in? Uh, you think my well, audience most, would be interested yeah, in? Yeah, most, I've had a wide variety. The last one I did was on tennis, believe it or not. Um, so if you're a tennis player, that would motivate you because it's all about how to play tennis and the, the mental aspect of tennis. Awesome. But I, it had a wide variety, Brew. I mean, one that I learned a lot about was, it was called the Bitcoin Revolution. And there's a revolution going on out there. About oh, there, I've definitely got some Bitcoin investors in, in my uh Yeah, and here. I mean, I, I learned a ton. I didn't dive in. I probably should have because it's gone up a lot since I did that. It, I, I actually, you remember when China decided not to use Bitcoin, yeah. it dropped, right? That's right as I was narrating the book. So I actually called the author and said, do you still want to go forth? Because it was dropping every day. Yep. And they said, it's going to bounce back. Yes, go, you know, finish the book. And it'll I drop again, it. too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's up and down. It's volatile. There's no doubt about it. But if you look at the overall trajectory, I mean, I have a family member who got in on it when it was just beginning, and he's doing very well. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyhow, uh, one that would be inspiring, a lot of mine are, uh, they call them, I don't like the term, I'm sure you don't either, self-help books. No, it's um, shelf-help. Most of them never get picked up off the exactly. shelf. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but a lot of mine are about that. Um, specifically, I'm, I'm, you know, I have all my titles listed on my ACX profile, um, but I, I don't really want to pick one out of them because I okay. really enjoyed all of them. I mean, I've already said yours are probably the two best. I also did 
a couple books for Donald Monaster, who is about, uh, one was about corporate world being the best Jew. One was about being the best Jew in, in, in your own life. Those awesome. are also very good. And yeah. he's uh, got a third book coming out. I'm, I'm hoping I can be the voice of it when it goes audio. But um, so that those were very good as well. Those are two of my first books when I first got started. So, I mean, I don't, I, I choose pretty carefully. I, I, I don't, I mean, in the beginning I was taking whatever I could get. Sure. So I did some books that are kind of out there, but, but um, now I'm, I'm finding ones that I'm, I'm in sync with yours. Yeah, you kind of find in a lane. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I agreed on yours sight unseen. I mean, you told me the story and I, and I, I read the audition. The, the audition was great. The, the, the copy was great. Yep. So I said, if this, the whole book is like this, I'm going to like this. And then you contacted me and said, it's not just one, it's two books. I said, oh, awesome. So we did it and I loved it. So I think things um, happen for a reason too. Like it's no small coincidence that we got introduced to one another here. You know, I agree. Yeah, it's it's the mean, power. I don't know why things happen for a reason or fate or however you want to go with it. But yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. I'm very happy it did. I, I, I learned a lot in, and that's the other thing about audiobook narration. I mean, I'm an information hound. There's another term used by some, but I'll say hound. And uh, so I, I don't like reading fiction, believe it or not, because if it's just straight fiction. If it's fiction based in reality, I, I'll read it. But I really have this thing, like if I'm taking the time to do something, to read it or to listen to it or watch it or whatever, I want to be learning something. I'm weird oh, yeah. that way. Yeah, so... And it yours, should enrich your life. I mean, it really should. Yeah, I learned a lot from yours. And, and as I said, I'm going to go back to many of them because unfortunately, as I get older, my, my retention isn't quite as good. But I, I will, I, I'm going to go back and, and um, you know, I, as I now practice my number name recognition for hockey games more and more and more as I get older, yeah. uh, I, I find I go back to reading books that I had read before, even watch movies that I've seen before more and more and more, just because, I mean, I flood myself with information as part of my work, as part of my life. And you can only take so much information in. So you got to go back and, and recount it and make it fresh in your mind. That's my theory on that. It's almost like an exercise. Yeah. But I remember yours and I said, Oh, these are things that, I mean, I could, I could probably read your books once every year. And, and uh, I encourage everybody to do that. I encourage them to yeah. actually buy a copy once every year. Well, there you go. Yeah, buy a new copy too. once every. Yeah, when you read it, when you read it, if you're if you're buying the physical book, and by the way, I highly suggest the audio book. But I, I do too. <laughs> That's the reality of it. Most people listen today more than they read. You know, it seems that's but, the yeah. direction they're going. I mean, these sites are taking off these audiobook uh, sites. So, um, but if you read or listen to your book, um, it is one you're gonna you're gonna hear or read something. And say that's that's great. But then you move on to the next one. That's great, too. And you're thinking, what was that one I thought was great two or three sections ago? So you are going to need to read it more than once, for sure. So I, I have people who um, listen to my podcast. They're like, you do a podcast. Why don't you narrate your own audiobooks? Yeah. And, and here's, here's why. Have you, like, you're listening to this podcast right now. Have you heard Jim's voice? <laughs> then you heard mine. Now you know why I don't narrate my own books. Listen to him. And what we're going to do, Jim, is we're going to put uh, a link to your website in the show notes. Uh, also put links to um, my audiobooks that Jim narrated uh, in the show notes. Uh, more information where you can reach out to him uh, if you want to get involved in with his coaching, which I encourage you to do and um just to be able to follow him on social media 
Uh, I get smarter. I get a little smarter every time I talk to them. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today, Jim. I encourage everybody to connect with you, follow you, and reach out. Um, and uh, we need to do this again. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate you making the time today to come on. And uh, number one, go Flyers. Number yeah, two, need to get it going, going, bro. Go follow uh, Jim Jackson. I'm gonna put go into the link in the uh, show notes. Follow him. Pick up a copy of the audiobooks, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Christmas. Coach Brew podcast, and uh, thank you, Jim. This has been great. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Coach Brew Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to coachbrew.com now.